0: This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in Dorado Springs. What happens after your last breath? Which incidentally is the name of our new message series that we're beginning today. What happens after you take your last breath? Now, if you're like me, you don't like to think about death, and you certainly don't want your pastor talking about death in church. It's a pretty morbid subject. In fact, I've learned that if a pastor talks about what happens after death, he's accused of using fear as a motivator and will on occasion even be labeled a hellfire and brimstone preacher. And, and maybe that's who I am. I, I don't think so. I, I don't think you could really characterize me, describe me as that. Um, my goal is to motivate people to come to Jesus out of love, not out of fear. Fear is generally a poor motivator, and I don't think it should be continually used to scare people out of hell and into heaven. But having said that, I do, do think that all of us need a healthy fear of the Lord, and we need a healthy fear of the things that are coming our way. Because, frankly, some of the future events... If you don't know Jesus, they should cause you to tremble. They are events that will not give you the warm fuzzies. But relax, this series will not be a spooky, try to scare you to Jesus type of series, but hopefully it will motivate us to draw closer to the Lord. Now you might ask here at the very beginning, Joe, why, why are we talking about death? And why are we talking about eternity? Well, Let me try to answer that question because it's it's really important. The reason that we're talking about death and eternity is because what you believe about what happens after your last breath will determine how you live today. Let, Let me say it again. What you believe about what happens after your last breath will determine the way that you will live today. For example, if you believe that when this life is over that you just kind of fade away into oblivion and and you just cease to exist because you're the product of an evolutionary process that did not involve a God, it was just an accident. If that's the way you believe, then you're going to live a selfish life, you're going to live a pleasure-filled life, driven for your comfort here on earth, and, and you will have no motivation to live righteously. But in turn, if you believe that after death, you will live somewhere eternally, that means forever. And if you you believe that you were formed, fashioned by a creator God for his glory, then it will affect your priorities today. Now, this short series, uh, you know, we won't be doing a detailed study. It will be simply a flyover. One reason is because a deep study would take months and months and months and years. Secondly, I'll admit I don't have it all figured out yet. Uh, You know, when when I was in Bible college, I was pretty cocky and I thought I had pretty much cracked the code for all of the end time events. You could ask me and I would tell you. But but it's funny, the the older I get, I think the less I know and, and probably I do. Uh, I I do think that I understand the basics, but when you get into all of the other details, I'm going to just back off, and you can go to our resident theologians, such as Pastor Richard Beckham, Pastor uh, Silas, Pastor Ken Smith, and they're all a lot smarter than I am, and they will be more than glad to enlighten you in all of the details, so you can talk to them after the service. (laughs) Now, during this flyover, we want to cover some of the basics and talk about subjects such as hell. Is hell a real place? And if it is, what happens in hell and and who goes to hell and why did God create a hell? And in hell, will you just kind of shoot the breeze with your buddies and play cards and maybe drink a little beer and flirt with the women and just have a good time? Or will there be actual suffering in hell? And if there is suffering, will it be physical suffering? Or is it just mental suffering or emotional suffering? And then in this series, we're going to talk about heaven. Is there really a heaven? And by the way, did you know that a lot more people believe in heaven than believe in hell? Seriously. Um... You know, the pollster George Barna said that 76% of Americans believe in heaven, but only 36% of Americans believe that hell is a place of actual suffering. Thought that was interesting. But, but anyway, if there is a heaven, then who goes to heaven? Does everybody who dies in Cedar County, Missouri go there? I mean, it seems that way. Uh, at every funeral, regardless of how a person lived, and you, you've you heard me talk about this before, you hear the family and you you hear the preacher... You know, he will say so-and-so is in a better place. So if we live in this part of the world, do we automatically have a free pass to heaven regardless of how we lived our lives? And then what will we do in heaven? Will our time in heaven be just a long worship service where we all sing in a choir for millions of years? And I probably shouldn't say this, but I hope not. You know, I like a choir number or two, but man, beyond that, I don't know. And then, will we get new bodies in heaven? I hope so. Man, it it wouldn't be cool for me to have a big nose for all of eternity. And some of you shouldn't laugh, okay? You've got your issues as well. Will we have political parties in heaven? I hope not. Do you think we can still look for mushrooms and climb mountains in heaven? I hope so. We might climb a cloud or two. So those are just a few of the topics we will try to cover. And, and for our study each week, I want to let Scripture do the heavy lifting. I'm really going to try to keep my speculation and opinions to a minimum and just let Scripture speak for itself. Is that okay? Are you all right with that? Let's just bow our heads. Father, I've been praying extra this week because I know I need your help. I always need your help. I'm always weak and just can't do it on my own. But especially this week when we're covering some stuff that's really heavy, I pray that you would help us today. And God, I don't want to be guilty of just trying to insert a lot of opinions. And I want to just let Scripture speak for itself. And uh, I just pray that your word would be really powerful today and in the weeks to come. I pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to look at an amazing scripture that gives us some insight into what happens after our last breath. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 reads like this. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, what's the earthly tent? It's referring to our physical bodies. When we die and leave these bodies, we will have a home in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. Can anybody say amen? (laughs) Amen. And we long for the day when we will put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. Now, let me stop here and say the mention of new clothing probably excites some of you women. But but sorry, new clothing just means we will have a new and improved and a glorified body. Anyone want to say amen again? For we will not be spirits without bodies. Let's give you some insight here. But we will put on new heavenly bodies. Our dying bodies make us groan and sigh. Can you relate to that? Say groan and sigh. Some of us do a lot of that. Groan and sigh. But it goes on and said, but it's not that we want to die and have no bodies at all. We want to slip into our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by everlasting life. I like that way, the way it says it. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. So we're always confident. That's good news. We're always confident. Even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. That's why we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, not just confident, but fully confident. And we would rather be away from these bodies uh, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Another translation to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You've, You've heard that at funerals. Okay, what's then our goal while we're in these earthly bodies? Verse 9. So our aim is to please Him always, whether we are here in this body or away from this body. So did you catch that our main goal is not to just accumulate a lot of money? It's not just to be YouTube famous. It's not just to have a big house with shiplap. I mean, I barely even know what shiplap is. I was introduced to it by the other day, but, you know, some of you do. By the way, I practice saying shiplap because I can mess that up rather easily. Sorry. Don't say that twice in a row, okay? Verse 10. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in our bodies. Okay. Okay. Today I want to remind you of three things that will happen after our last breath. Number one, our physical bodies will die. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is destined that each person dies only once, and after that comes judgment. So, let's pause there. Each person dies. You know, as the old worn out saying goes, recent studies are conclusive, one out of one people die. You're going to die, I'm going to die. Some people die because of disease. Some of the most common are cancer and heart disease. And then some people die because of disaster, car crashes, tornadoes, earthquakes, hurricanes. And then last Sunday, I heard of a really bizarre cause of death. In Indonesia, they've, they, they recently have had elections, and uh, you probably heard about it on the news, and they use paper ballots. Uh, they, they figured that about 150 million people voted... And that's bad enough, but each had five different ballots they had to fill out. So they're estimating that the ballot counters are having to count 750 million paper ballots. And here's what was really interesting to me. Over the past few weeks, they've been, as these ballot counters have been going through them, they said that over 300 of the ballot counters have died so far due to exhaustion. Exhaustion. They're just worn out, working overtime, counting ballots. I didn't realize counting ballots was hazardous to your health, but it is. The bottom line is that we all die. You know, on the lighter side, if there is a lighter side, as you talk about death, a a few days ago I was researching the most common causes of death. And, I mean, you know, I have absolutely nothing to do during the week because I only work Sundays. I actually work twice as much as most pastors because we have two Sunday morning services and we, we still have Sunday evening services, so maybe I work three times as much as most pastors. But, but, but during the week, you know, I have nothing to do but just watch my Bible kind of hover above the desk and, and drink coffee and take naps and listen to your frequent criticisms and try to counsel marriages that are blowing up and comfort those who have lost loved ones and referee family squabbles and prepare boring messages and... Uh, that's all I had to do. So I, I decided to research death, and, and I learned something that was really interesting to me. I learned that a pretty significant number of people have a fear of dying by shark attack. Really, and, and uh, I, I know that sounds funny for those of us that are what a thousand miles or so away from the closest ocean. But maybe it's the Jaws movie back in the '70s, or and, and then you hear of the occasional shark attacks. Um, But but anyway, if you're one of those that has a fear, an extreme fear of dying by a shark attack, let me just calm your fears, okay? I found you are more likely to die from a falling coconut, coconut than a shark attack. I also found that you're more likely to die from getting hit in the head by a champagne cork than you are a shark death. Another reason to stay away from alcohol, okay? You're more likely to die from being... Uh, from a hippo attack than a shark attack. And then this was interesting. You're more likely to die from being left-handed than you are from a shark attack. How many of you are left-handed here? Beware. (laughs) You know, they say that generally less than five five people die each year worldwide due to shark attacks, but 2,500 deaths per year take place because left-handed people attempt to use Products for right-handed people, and it doesn't go well. And then four to six times more people are killed from vending machines than sharks. I don't know if they try to crawl up in there and they get their head stuck or pull a machine over on them. I don't know. And, and then two more. You're more likely to die as a result of bad, bad handwriting than a shark attack. And I don't know if you've ever had a doctor that just scribbles and... Uh, and, you know, you can't really read it. And, and I know that's less now because a lot of it's electronic, uh, but you take the wrong medicine. And uh, so it says that way more people die from that than shark attacks. And the last one, you're more likely to die from falling off the tori- toilet than a shark attack. True. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You're learning a lot of beneficial stuff. And so some of you need to pay more attention to your business than Instagram, you know, whenever, whatever. Okay, bad, bad. (laughs) Enough of that nonsense. All of that to say that our physical bodies will eventually die. Secondly, at death, our souls will separate from our physical bodies. So we just spent 10 minutes saying that our physical bodies will stay behind, turn back to dust. So what happens to our soul? Well, our soul will continue to live on forever. Jesus said this in Matthew 10:28, "Don't be afraid of those who want to kill you. They can kill your body, they cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell." So there's a part of us that nothing can kill. Disease can't kill it. Cancer can't kill it. A heart attack can't kill it. A shark can't kill it. A gun can't kill it. A natural disaster can't kill it. Our soul is unkillable. Is that a word? You know what I mean. There is nothing in this life that can kill our soul. And so one day shortly after your funeral, you will go six feet under. And as they always joke, you know, the funeral director will make money, you'll go in the hole. I'm sorry, that's really bad. <laughs> I told you I had too much time on my hands this week. <laughs> Not really. You know, everybody will go back after your death. Everybody will go back to the church to eat some wonderful food that Diet And our kitchen crew will prepare. And during your meal, your family will talk about the events that led to your death. And they will say, bless his heart or bless her heart. And, you know, so-and-so had so much life left in them, you know, all this stuff that we typically say after someone's death. But, but if you're a Christian, you need to know that while, you know, they're stuffing their faces in memory of you and eating fried chicken and they're feeling sorry for you, know that you as a Christian are feeling sorry for them because you've left your imperfect body behind and they are still groaning and sighing. Remember that in our scripture? groaning and sighing. They will be complaining of their back hurting or their hip hurting or their knee acting up because of all the rain, but you will feel better than ever before and you will be kicking up gold dust on the streets of the New Jerusalem. Now that part of kicking up gold dust may not be theologically sound, but it sounds good and and you know that your soul will still be alive. The Apostle Paul had an interesting take on this and I love this little conversation he has with himself. Do you ever kind of carry on a conversation with yourself? Uh, and that's what he's doing right here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, or yes, 121. For to me, living is for Christ, dying is even better. Yet if I live, that means fruitful service for Christ. And here's the debate he has in his mind. I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. Sometimes I want to live, and sometimes I long to go to be with Christ. That'd be far better for me but it's better for you that I live. So so Paul is torn between two lovers and and he wants to die because he knows that would be better for him. I mean, he suffered shipwreck and, and he's been beaten and so he knows that if he dies, he'll go to be with Jesus, but he knows that he's still needed here on earth to help other people get ready to go to heaven. So he's torn. Can you relate to that? boy, I can. Sometimes I think, oh, Lord, life at times is so tough and discouraging. Just take me home. But at other times I think, Lord, I I, I, I think I'm still needed in my family. And I know some of my family would say, good riddance. You got life insurance. Um, I, I think my grandkids still need me at least. And, and I like to think that I still am needed in this church, at least, you know, a tiny bit. That way you can pick on me and criticize me and leave others alone. And So so at times I'm torn between going home to Jesus where I will no longer groan and sigh and staying here on earth to try to see more people come to Jesus. So Paul is saying, oh man, I want to do this. This is probably better. This is easier. But this is probably more profitable. So what do we know so far? After we take our last breath, first our physical bodies will die. Secondly, our soul will continue to live on. And thirdly, we know at some point we will face the judgment. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 1.17, And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites when He judges. You know, we all have a favorite. And sometimes without even wanting to, we're a little bit, give so-and-so a little bit more slack. But he has no favorites when he judges. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners here on earth. So, you know, we say this a lot here in this church, but this world is not your home. You're a foreigner. You're not a citizen. You just have a green card. You're just passing through. And at the end of this life, you will be judged or you will be rewarded according to how you have lived your life here on earth. Now, let me show you in Scripture two different judgments and briefly talk about each one. And, and, and again, afterwards, if you want more detail, you can talk to Ken Smith or, 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 or Silas or Richard Beckham there. But the first judgment is what Scripture refers to as the great white throne judgment. And, and most scholars believe that the great white throne judgment is for non-believers, John, who was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, had a vision given to him by the Holy Spirit of the things to come. This is what he saw right here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. And I saw the one who was sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the things written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead in it and death and and the grave gave up the dead in them. They were all judged according to their deeds and, and death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So what do we learn from these verses? Well, at the great white throne judgment, there will be dead people. You know, verse 12 says, I saw the dead. And and most people don't believe that these are all of the dead people that have died down through the ages. Rather, they believe that these are the unbelieving dead. Secondly, in this scripture, we see that there will be books. There's the book of life and evidently some other unnamed books because it says books plural and probably contain good works, maybe even sins. And then it also says that if if your name is not found in the book of life, you will be judged by your works by what you've done. So question, try to track with me here. Is anybody here good enough by their works to qualify for heaven? Of course not. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 says we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not by our works. So if your name is not written in the book of life, you're judged by your works. And since works cannot gain you entrance into heaven, then it appears that your works might possibly determine the degree of suffering in hell. And verse 15 is one of the most, can I just say, poignant scriptures in all of the Bible. It says that if your name is not found in the book of life, you will be thrown into the lake of fire. Let me just stop here. Let that sink in. You know, in the book of Psalms, 71 different times you see the word selah. S-E-L-A-H. Which means just to stop. Pause. Weigh what is being said. And, and maybe after talking about being thrown into the lake of fire, there should have been a selah. timeout. Think about this. You know, there's coming a day when that great court will go into session. And as that judge walks in, instead of everyone rising, you know, as they say, all rise, as they do in our courtrooms, but the Bible says, instead of all rising, they will bow the knee. And as that judge opens the books, the truth will come out. Lies will be exposed, impure motives will become public knowledge. It will be judgment time. Now, if I understand things correctly, this judgment will take place after the 1,000 years of peace that Bible scholars refer to as the millennium. And the question is why? I want you to kind of track with me here. Why doesn't God immediately judge a person when they die? Wouldn't that make more sense? Why does God late, let them wait until after the 1,000 year millennium to be judged, let me give you an opinion here, an opinion only I believe it's because their deeds have not yet fully ripened. Let me explain this you know take for instance, those parents who fail to be a who fail to be godly parents to their children, and so what happens is that child grows up in a non-godly atmosphere and that child gets married and passes those same learned, ungodly traits on down to his or her children and, and then their children on down to their children. And, and so I believe that God will not fully judge those parents until the great white throne judgment because their failure to be godly parents is collecting interest. That just, man, that brings fear to me. It's carrying consequences down through the ages. And so God cannot pronounce a final judgment until He puts the final period upon the final sentence, upon the final paragraph, upon the final page, upon the final chapter, upon the final book of history. You know, Jesus says this in one of the most sobering verses to me in all of Scripture, and and it's rocked me for years. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, Not all people who sound religious are really godly. Did you know that? They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. New Living Translation says, The decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. On judgment day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. And, you know, here's the way this scripture might be said in our part of the country. Well, you know, I pray to the man upstairs every day. M- you know, me and him, we're good. By the way, don't call him the man upstairs. He's God. He's God Almighty. Not the man upstairs. Or or sometimes it comes across here, well, you know, yeah, I've got my issues, but I'm a lot better than so-and-so, and they go to church. Lord, Lord, we prophesied in Your name. We cast out demons in Your name. Perform many miracles in Your name. Prayed to the man upstairs. Verse 23 says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Go away. It's a pretty sobering. pretty sobering thought, isn't it? But despite that sobering thought, here's the amazing news. Jesus, the Son of God, was slain for the forgiveness of our sins. And that's why you and I, we can call on the grace of God and be saved. And when we're found in Christ and our name is written in a book, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Well, the second judgment, I've got to really hurry here, is called the judgment seat of Christ. We read about that in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. It says, so why do you condemn another Christian? Why do you look down on another Christian? Remember, each of us will stand personally before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will have to give a personal account to God. And, and, and you've heard this if you were raised in church. The Greek word for judgment seat is the word bema, B-E-M-A. And it's, it's a, it's a rich word that has historical meaning. It was commonly used at the Greek, uh, Greek Olympic Games. And at the end of the competition, whoever won would step up on a platform and it was called the bema. And the judge would come over and, and the competitor would, would bow down and, and, and the judge would place an olive crown upon the winner's head. So, so the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment the way I understand it. And again, I'm not dogmatic. I could be wrong, maybe wrong, probably am wrong on some things, but it's not a judgment for your sins. This is where you will receive your, listen, your reward for the good works you have done. Now you say, oh, wait, wait a minute. Stop. I'm confused. I I thought you just said that we're not saved by works. We're not. You can't do enough good stuff. And you can't rid yourself of enough bad stuff to get to heaven. We're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. But whereas we're saved by grace, we're rewarded for our works. And what are some of the works we might be rewarded for? Well, I believe you'll be rewarded by how you treat people, how you cared for the poor, how you cared for the broken, the orphans, the hurting. And, and Scripture talks about speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves. And, and here in our society, we have a group of people that basically have no voice because, you know, we consider them here in this category and we don't listen to them. And I believe God wants us to speak up for them. I also believe you'll be judged by your motives. You know, we at times can camouflage our motives, but God sees through them. You'll be judged by the words you speak, you know, the words of gossip. And, you know, when we say bless their hearts and then we gossip about them, that doesn't neutralize it. You know what? If gossip is a problem in your life, first thing in the morning, you just might want to take some duct tape and put it on your mouth every day. Just a thought. You'll be rewarded by how you endure suffering. And how do you deal with someone that hurts your feelings? Well, dirty so-and-so. So do you lash out at them and get even? Talk behind their back? Or do you take it like Jesus and show love to them? I believe you will be rewarded by what you do with your resources. Did you use your musical abilities for Jesus? Did you use your financial resources to be a blessing or did you just use them all for your pleasure? Did did you bring your tithe to God even though times were tough? Were you generous to others who had need? I also believe you'll be rewarded for bringing people to Christ. You know, there's a crown, Scripture says, for those who are soul winners. So would you get a soul winning crown? You'll be rewarded for serving. You serve kids. You serve senior adults. You serve people that didn't deserve it. You will be rewarded for doing right under pressure. You could have done what was easy, but you did what was right. Even though everyone else laughed at you, you still did what was right. You even did what was right when no one was looking. I know it's time to quit. I'm going to try to wrap it up here in the next hour or so. You know, this week I debated as to how real to be before you this morning, but I'm going to be just as raw as I can. And I hope you're not disappointed in me. When it comes for living for eternity, I'll admit that I haven't arrived. And, And here's what troubles me. I thought that the longer I walked with Christ, and it's been several decades now, but I thought that the longer I served Jesus... The easier it would be for me to stay eternally minded, but here 's what i 've noticed about me and and, and I think i 've noticed about this this about you: The longer I live on this earth, the more my roots tend to dig into this world and The result is that I find myself today caring way too much about the things of this world, and Frankly, sometimes it disgusts me i just looking at my closet, looking at my garage seeing all the stuff I have, sometimes it, it it disgusts me. It makes me mad how much junk I've got. But what do I still do? I keep looking for the latest and the greatest, and, and, and I'm embarrassed, but it seems that UPS and FedEx make nearly daily trips to my house. Something else I think that sometimes I care way too much about what people think rather than what God thinks. Now, I'm going to be like you, And probably deny it if accused of that because that's what we do i don't care what anybody thinks yeah you do you know we care what people think sometimes more than what god thinks and then i found this and i don't like this about myself but the more comfortable my life becomes it seems that the more i crave more comfort and and the more i crave comfort i find myself living less for the things that matter most and And again, I'm sorry if that disappoints you, and I'm supposed to be better than that as your pastor, but but I have to continually fight against the tendency to be more and more tied to the things of this world. And so the question that we want to deal with as we wrap things up is, how do we fight against this? How do we fight against the settling? How do we fight against the gravitational pull to the things of this world? You know, some of us don't notice it because it's just so gradual, it's so subtle. And so, you know, we, we would probably deny, no, 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 I'm not more tied to the things of this world. But Satan has a way of just kind of confusing us. Um, so how do we fight against this? Well, I don't have all the answers, but I was trying to sort through this question in my study and prayer time this past week. Something began to kind of click with me. You know, those of you who have a smartphone or, and I know Mike, you don't, and I know Gene, you don't, uh, but those of you that have a smartphone or a GPS in your car, when you go on a trip that has some tricky navigation, many of you, like me, will use Google Maps or for iPhone users, you might prefer Maps. And it gives you turn-by-turn directions, you know, turn right and 100 feet or turn left and 500 feet and this probably doesn't happen to you, but way too often I get distracted and I miss a turn. So so what happens? Well, my, my, uh, my app goes crazy and it says recalculating, recalculating, and then it'll give me an alternate route. And that's the way that it is sometimes with God. You know, too often I get distracted. I take a wrong turn. I get too comfortable. I get my eyes on people. I, I get my eyes on stuff. And, and I develop a bad and a critical, unforgiving attitude and... And and when I come to the realization of what I'm doing, it's like the Holy Spirit begins to recalculate and, and come up with a way to kind of recenter my life once again. So let me give you some very basic suggestions on how maybe to recenter our lives. And this is not just for you, it's for me. But if you find yourself loving stuff and things, and like I do, maybe we should... Try giving until we're uncomfortable. Now, the old timers used to say, give until it hurts. You know, give sacrificially. And and the truth is that most of us here, we give out of our abundance. But Mark chapter 12, verse 42, talks about the widow that gave out of her poverty. And frankly, I don't think I've ever done that. I, I'm not sure that I've ever given to the point that I had to do without something else. I, I've given from my abundance. And, and I try to pay my tithe. And I try to pay over my tithe. And it, it's not that at all, but... I'm giving from my abundance. But I'm wondering if giving until it's uncomfortable might help us recenter our lives and focus on things that last forever. You know, secondly, maybe we could pray longer than we normally do. And, you know, most of us, we say, God, bless me, prayers. and But we really don't know about lingering in prayer. And, and prayer always helps recenter us. And, and so maybe this week we could carve out a little bit of time to pray more than what we normally do. Along with that maybe we need to spend more time in God's word and and I know what a lot of us say well I don't like to read okay that's no excuse because today you can listen to God's word. You know God's word is truth it's light and and, and the pull of this world is so strong that sometimes it takes God's word to break that pull and And then maybe this week, and this is something that makes us uncomfortable. Maybe we need to drive or walk around town and and pray for some people that we might identify as users. Or some might even call them losers. And just let God know that you're willing to be a channel of His love to them. And then if you find yourself more concerned with the things of this world, whatever it is, you know, sports, the house, the car, the next vacation, whatever it is. Maybe we should let the Spirit of God recalculate and bring us back to a spiritual center and we're to have one goal and that's to please Jesus. You know, one day our heart will beat for the last time and at that point there are no do-overs. That's why in our world we must fight to keep the eternal goal front and center. Let's pray together. Father, by the power of your word, and the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Would you recalculate us to an eternal mindset? Help us to recognize the power of the truth that what we believe about eternity will really impact how we live today. Lord, I pray for those that maybe recognize they've drifted away from center. God, would you change us, redirect us, refocus us, center us around your truth, And God, for some of us, we don't need just a slight adjustment, but we need an overhaul. Putting you first in everything that we do. God, may our goal every single day may not be about this world, but about impacting others for Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.